True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Welcome on in to Fantasy Baseball Today. Full transparency. We are recording this on Sunday afternoon before the Super Bowl. You will be listening to it on Monday, February 8th. Because let's be honest, we want to watch the Super Bowl. And I'm likely going to be intoxicated tonight. Welcome to the show. Frank Stample here, joined by Scott White. Chris was supposed to be on this podcast. But as soon as he joined... His internet went out. It is snowing again in New York City. There's like snowballs falling from the sky. It's absolutely insane. But Scott, I mean, Chris becomes an analyst. The guy takes a week off for vacation. Now he doesn't want to do the podcast. I don't know, man. I, I think he's starting to big time us here. I don't know. Well, he's still technically on vacation, right? So maybe it was uh, maybe it was a divine intervention there. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I had to cancel a mock draft last week because my internet was out. So. The, the internet gods are conspiring against us. Crazy times indeed. Yeah, uh, look, everyone's working from home, so I imagine uh, internets are, are bogged down right now. Today on the show, we are taking a closer look at ADP analysis, uh, who is undervalued and overvalued. We'll go round by round, really focus in on the first like eight or so rounds, uh, and then give you some picks outside the top 100 and top 200 as well. Scotty is hyped because his boy Marcelo Zuna returns to the Atlanta Braves. We also had a trade over the weekend. We'll get into all that. But Scott, let's start with this. ADP analysis is the crux of the show. Give me one of your favorite undervalued players right now in drafts. Matt Olson, who's going 82nd overall. And I don't really understand why. He didn't have a great year last year, as was true of a lot of first basemen. Uh, most aren't getting dinged as hard for it as he is, and I don't see anything in the underlying numbers to suggest he's a different player. So he hit 195. He still had 14 homers, though, in those 60 games, so obviously the power is still intact. Um, I still think Matt Olson and, and Pete Alonso are basically mirror images of each other, one batting right-handed, one batting left-handed, and Pete Olson is going 53rd overall compared to Matt Olson's 82nd overall. When I was putting together uh, my position strategy pieces, I had a, a studs category at each position, the studs. And among hitter positions, I'm pretty sure Matt Olson 
was the lowest ranked of the stud, was the lowest, had the lowest ADP of any of the studs at any hitter position. Uh, so he's, he's definitely being undervalued. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. I'm a fan of Matt Olson. I was last year. He let us down with a 195 batting average, but seems like he was hurt by some uh, some bad Babbitt luck. Uh, 227 Babbitt for him in the shortened season, whereas he is a career 277 Babbitt guy. Uh, again, that is Matt Olson. So we would expect the batting average to bounce back a little bit. Not that he's going to be a contributor there, but he definitely should not be batting below 200 as well. Uh, on the other side there, Scott, someone that is overvalued, you might be looking the other way at in drafts. So I actually think, I actually think Jose Abreu, if I'm going to I'll stick at first base. Jose Abreu is somebody who's being overvalued going 33rd overall. So third round pick, even in a 12 team league. On average, and, and and I've noticed when we do our mock drafts with folks around the industry, he doesn't tend to go as high as the third round. So I, I think we're we're more of the mindset he should be like a fifth rounder. I mean, obviously, if you take last year's numbers, fine, he deserves to go in the third round. But it it's such an outlier uh, for him to produce at that MVP level at a, at an advanced age. I mean, he's closing in on thirty five, and to have this outlier performance over a very short season. Uh, he he's always going to be good. He's always going to be a solid contributor for your team. So I don't want to call him like a bust, but for a third, like I, I just, I have a very hard time believing he's going to produce like he did last year. And he pretty much need to, to, uh, to live up to that ADP. Yeah. The ADP is, it's very steep for Jose Abreu who is being drafted at pick 33 overall. And, I agree. It's tough because he is now. He will be 34 years old when the season starts. Uh, you're buying coming off an MVP season where he hit 317. He had 60 RBI in 60 games. Guy was on pace for 162 RBI over the course of a full season. So it's just absolutely mm-hmm. massive year. Um, and I really like the player, but agree in the third round of a 12 team league that is very tough. But you know, in drafts where everyone has that same mindset, Scott, he might fall a little bit. And I did a 15-team roto draft recently where I got him at pick 51. So in the fourth round of a 15-teamer, um, I think that's that's actually pretty a, a pretty solid range to get him outside the top 50. Yeah, so. I, I think that's fine. I, I don't I don't see that as a discount from where I I expect him to perform. But I, you know, it's, it's obviously safer than drafting him 33rd overall. So I, I don't. I'm going to see. Let me see if I can pull up my roto rankings real quick to see where I. Rank him. Uh, I don't know how quickly I'll get. Oh, here we go. So I have Jose Abreu 44th. So I guess 51st I would be fine with as well. Nice. All right. Nice little endorsement there from Scott on my Jose Abreu pick. Uh, Again, don't take him inside the first three rounds, but if he falls a little bit, something that we can get behind. So we're going to do a lot of this uh, throughout the course of today's podcast, but want to focus in on some of the news and notes. I wanted to get Chris's thoughts on Trevor Bauer. It seems like that's not going to happen. So we'll wait for uh, for Chris to join us hopefully later on in the week, maybe later on in this podcast, if he can get his internet up and running again. Scott, I mentioned Marcelo Zuna, your boy returns to the Atlanta Braves. Uh, this happened on Friday night. Everything happens on Friday night, Scott. Like we recorded the Trevor Bauer emergency podcast and we were like, you know, Marcelo Zuna is going to sign. It's going to happen. Please let him go back to the Braves so that we don't have to do another emergency podcast as love as much as we love doing them. Um, two in one day would have been would would have been pretty, uh, pretty frustrating there. But 
Uh, your thoughts, him going back to your uh, Atlanta Braves. He cashes in after the massive 2020 season. Um, mm-hmm. How much are you buying in on him? His, his ADP is in that fourth round range right now. Yeah, so I am... Um, I, I think it's impossible to look at what Marcelo Zuna did. I mean, he was the he was the number he ended up being the number one outfielder in points leagues ahead of even Mookie Bats. In, in both sure formats, a lot of, he finished oh, in, in, in Roto formats. and in head to head points as the number one outfielder. Just massive season. Wow, wow, yeah, I didn't realize that. I, I don't think a lot of people listening would realize that. I have him fortieth in my Roto rankings, uh, a little lower in points, obviously, just because there are more pitchers ahead of him in points. So for the most part, I'm buying into it. Like. I don't. I think it's unreasonable to think he will put up that exact same line. Like there will be a half step back, just because you know law of average law of averages dictates that. But you know, heading into the season, he was that guy who, man, he he keeps falling well short of his expected stats. What what happens if he just gets normal luck? Basically, I don't know if that's the fairest way to categorize it, but um, he his talent level looks much higher than his performance so far. And, and, uh, you know, he backed that up in 2020. Um, so I, yeah, I think he's a stud bat. I think he's a stud bat. I'm excited. He's back with the Braves. I think in terms of his fantasy value, that's obviously a good thing too, because we know he's comfortable there. We know, um, he works in that park. We know it's a good lineup for him. And so, uh, if, you know, he's, he's not a bad choice as a number one outfielder in fantasy, I don't think. Yeah, and Scott was referencing the uh, underperformance in 2019 for Marcelo Zuna, where he hit 242 with a 472 slugging percentage. Uh, and, he, and while he did that, his expected batting average, according to StatCast, which based on his quality of contact, said that he deserved a 291 batting average and a 548 slugging percentage. Um, yeah. And then in 2020, you know, obviously has the massive year. He hits 338, 18 home runs, and StatCast once again backed him up. So I think that we have enough data now where, okay, even if he's getting pushed up the board a little bit compared to where he's been going in years past, again, this is Marcelo Zuna, I think he's worth it because uh, the underlying numbers really do back up the performance that he put together last season. Uh, so you mentioned, Scott, you have him as a ranked as a top 10 outfielder in both formats, in head-to-head points and in Roto. Uh, you would take Marcelo Zuna over someone like Springer in head-to-head points? Yeah, it's a close call, but I think so. How about yeah. in uh, in Roto? Would you take one of these youngsters that can run, someone like a Kyle Tucker or Luis Robert ahead of Ozuna? Because you know, in years past, Ozuna will give you a few steals, but he didn't steal any actually uh, last season. So I don't really know what we should expect there. Yeah, I've been looking at that recently. I think I have Ozuna ahead right now. Um, Kyle Tucker, I, I can see taking Kyle Tucker Ozuna more than over Ozuna more than I could Robert. And of course, to some degree, it just depends on do you have zero steals at the point that pick is coming up? Then you know maybe then I would take Robert. But I think there's a lot of downside with Robert that is not being factored in by a lot of people. Uh, he's probably going to wind up in bust 2.0 for me. So I don't expect to have many shares in Robert, but I understand at some point you you can't always when you're when you're looking to meet that steals needs you can't always take players you like because there's just not enough base stealers to go around. Yeah, Ozuna's ADP forty three point eight. So I mentioned in the fourth round, uh, Kyle Tucker right now at thirty five and Luis Robert at thirty seven point eight. So both going slightly ahead of Ozuna, and I would expect that's because you you project 
20-ish steals for each of those guys, Kyle Tucker and Luis Robert. We had a trade over the weekend. The A's acquired Elvis Andrus, catcher Aramis Garcia, and Cash from the Texas Rangers in exchange for designated hitter Chris Davis, catcher Jonah Heim, and right-handed pitching prospect Dane Acker. For the A's, Elvis Andrus will play shortstop, uh, and since the start of 2019, he has not been great. 263 batting average, 384 slug, uh, 688 OPS during that time. He still did have three home runs and three steals in just 29 games last season. So Scott, moving over to the A's, expected to likely play every day at shortstop. Anything left in the tank for Elvis Andrus? I'm not hopeful of that. Uh, he might he might be a cheap contributor in steals for you since the playing time is going to be there. You know, last year, obviously, short seasons, the three steals, not really sure what to make of that, but he had 31 in 2019, hit 275 still. Um, that would obviously be useful, particularly as late as you can get him in a roto league, but clearly on the decline, clearly need to have low expectations for him. And the same is true for Chris Davis. Really, it was it was kind of a swap of has-beens here. Uh, <laughs> I, I think maybe the the most notable fantasy implication here is that okay, Davis can only play DH. Willie Calhoun, I mean, we've seen him play left field recently, but he was basically just a DH last year, and they have a full outfield anyway. The Rangers do. So, what does this mean for Willie Calhoun? I'm I'm less interested in him as a sleeper if if Chris Davis is going to be cutting into his at-bats. Yeah, I was kind of wondering what this does for not everyone's playing time, but I think that it can somewhat affect David Dahl and Leody Tavares as well. I think Joey Gallo is pretty safe to play um, near every day uh, in right field for the Texas Rangers. But as of now, they do have, uh, the Rangers have Chris Davis, they have uh, Willie Calhoun, they have uh, Leody Tavares, as I mentioned, and David Dahl for basically three spots. It's center field, left field, and DH. So you're you're basically seeing um, Chris Davis and Willie Calhoun just take away from each other. You're not worried as much about Dahl and Tavares there, Scott? I, I mean, it, it would require, for them to lose a bats to Chris Davis, it would require Willie Calhoun to play some outfield, and I'm not sure how interested... Yeah, he still played eight games there last year, Willie Calhoun did. I know he was DH only, uh, he was only two games short of getting outfield eligibility. So maybe they'll be... Yeah, I, I doubt it'll be a situation where it's always this thing. You know, if if David Dahl is struggling, then of course he's going to lose more playing time. If Willie Calhoun is killing it, then, you know, of course he's going to lose less playing time. But I think going in, the plan would be more like a DH platoon. Um, you know, other guys like Delino DeShields, Charlie Culberson might be around to impact of the at-bats of somebody like David Dahl. But um, but obviously, that was always a possibility even before this trade. And Tavares is a pretty popular sleeper candidate, I've seen, at least in Roto Leagues, because four homers, eight steals in 33 games in 2020 for Tavares. So he does have some speed. Uh, showed that off in the minor leagues as well. Yeah, he's played about 65 games at AA, so there's a chance that he starts the year in the minors, but um, he looked pretty good last year in his uh, limited... Playing time. Uh, Scott, at catcher, I just wanted to address this with the Rangers as well. They acquired Jonah Heim. They also have Jose Trevino. Uh, and we're kind of excited about Sam Huff, who is a 
one of the top catching prospects in baseball. He obviously has massive power. He flashed out a little bit towards the end of the season. So uh, how do you see the, the, the catcher situation playing out here for the Rangers? Well, I had read from one of the Rangers beat writers, I don't remember which one, that Sam Huff's expected to begin in the minors, that they're planning to go with Trevino as their starter to begin the era. Expect Huff to be up at some point, obviously. But um, I, do, I don't think acquiring Jonah Heim is going to impact Huff's timetable at all. So minimal impact there. Alrighty. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Sam Huff, there's a lot to be excited about there. Big power, lots of strikeouts, almost like a Joey Gallo-esque uh, at the catcher position. But um, we should see him at some point here in 2021. Last thing on this trade, A's GM David Forrest said Saturday that they're in the market for bullpen help. They did manage to save some money here in this trade or receive money from the Rangers. Either way, they have some more money available. Um, and... Trevor Rosenthal and Mark Melanson are still out there. So as of now, it looks like Jake Diekman is the favorite, the in-house favorite for saves with Oakland, but there's still a chance that they can sign uh, another reliever for the back end there. Uh, speaking of the A's, we didn't start Mike Fires. They brought him back on a one-year deal. Uh, he's really not very good for fantasy purposes anymore. Uh, the Mets signed outfielder Albert Al- Almora, uh, more of a defense first type player and he projects to play against left-handed pitching in a platoon in center field uh, with Brandon Nimmo playing against right-handed pitching. So there you go. Not really much to see there. Um, The Reds. I like Brandon Nimmo more than that, but yeah, apparently that's the direction they're going to go. Yeah. Look, Nimmo, especially in in points leagues or OBP, he's fantastic. And and Mm -hmm. if he leads off against right-handed pitching, he should be able to score a good amount of runs as well. So he's a good player, but it seems like they don't really want to give him uh, opportunities against left-handed pitching. So at least in a platoon to start there for Brendan Nimmo, uh, the Reds apparently have been in contact with Jonathan VR regarding their open shortstop job, uh, though a deal is not yet in place. VR would be a nightmare defensively at shortstop for the Cincinnati Reds, but it would be pretty fun for fantasy. So, uh, yeah, some, something to no, monitor. I mean, he, he becomes the after Adalberto Mondesi, VR becomes the expected steals leader. I would say if he's an everyday player, I wasn't counting on him being an everyday player, but uh, it seems like the Reds would be a good destination for that, and might help him reclaim some of the power he lost in that move from Baltimore to Miami last year. Yep, no, definitely a fair point. Um, if you had the opportunity to play every day again, we could see 15-plus homers, 30-plus deals. Definitely value, uh, definitely valuable, more so from a Roto perspective. Of course, before we get into the ADP review, quickly promote a few things. Moving forward, you will now be able to watch us stream Fantasy Baseball Today. I mentioned this late last week, but um, we're going to go live starting... Uh, Monday night, but moving forward, Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday nights around 10 p.m. Eastern time. That's typically when we record Fantasy Baseball today. Uh, you'll be able to watch us live. and So you can do that on our YouTube channel. So make sure to subscribe. That's youtube.com slash fantasy baseball today. Turn on notifications so you get an alert every time we go live. You can watch uh, everything happen here live with uh, Chris and his cat and Scott and his, and, and his living room. Uh, there's not really much going on there. Um, maybe we get a cat somewhere in there, Scott, and, and make, make, <laughs> Used to have one. make things happen. Uh, but we're also going to be live on the CBS Sports HQ Twitch channel as well. So you can watch on either site, either stream. You can come hang out, hop in the chat, 
ask some questions, have some fun. Uh, and just a programming note that the rest of this week, you'll be hearing our position previews. We're going to start those for 2021. We'll have catcher first and second base this week. ADP review will be using Fantasy Pro's average draft position for this exercise, which currently uses an aggregate of draft data from the NFBC, that's the National Fantasy Baseball Championship, Fantrax, RT Sports, and Yahoo. And before long, CBS ADP will be part of that aggregate as well. Uh, I'll put the link to the ADP in the podcast and YouTube description. So if you want to click on it and and follow along with some of the players that we're talking about, feel free to do so. Uh, But Scott, as a precursor to this ADP conversation, we got an Apple podcast review question. And I thought that it was pretty interesting one and it has to do with ADP. So this one's from Jeff in Washington, DC says, I rely a lot on the CBS experts that would be us, when I rank players for drafts, but was wondering whether to temper those rankings with ADP this year. If, for example, you rank a player 20 spots higher than ADP, do you just pick your guy or do you weigh ADP and potentially wait because you probably can? This would mostly apply where experts' ranks are substantially higher than ADP. So, Scott, this is basically a get-your-guys conversation. Now, just because you rank a player 20 spots higher than ADP, do you have to take them there or maybe, you know, take them one round ahead of ADP just to make sure you get that player because you're excited mm-hmm. about them? How do you weigh those things together? So I treat my rankings, and this has been a point of contention over the, over the years. I construct my rankings as a draft guide, as a tool to use in the draft. This is the order you should draft these players. And so I'm taking into account perception. I'm taking into account ADP. Um, a lot of the changes I make to my rankings uh, over the course of draft prep season, because obviously when I first put together the rankings, I'm kind of going in blind. I don't have any of that info. But as I'm adjusting rankings leading up to to the height of draft prep season, leading up to opening day, I'm the changes are being made because I'm finding I can get certain players later or players that I want to get more of, I'm not able to get them because I don't want to rank them high enough. So I'm, I'm adjusting my rankings with that in mind, with, with ADP in mind. Um, so that would be the answer for my rankings personally. But I know a lot of people just rank them based on this is how I think their numbers are going to look at the end of the season and not accounting for what, people, what other people are doing at all. So, you know, there's, there's no like... There's no set way to do rankings, which makes it difficult to answer this question. But I, I guess if I'm going to apply an answer for just rankings in general, I would say, no, consider the rankings, but also factor in ADP because there's no reason to reach for a guy by three rounds. Maybe one round, like you said, if it's somebody you really want, but you don't. You obviously want to maximize the value of every pick and you have to take into account ADP if you do, which again, I try to already do in my rankings, but if you're using somebody else's rankings, you can't assume that. No, it's a good point. And we spoke about this recently for one of our mock drafts where I think Kyle Hendricks went in like the third round. I think it was our points league mock draft where you probably, based on ADP, didn't have to pull him up the board that high. Maybe the fourth round, like if you just want to make sure that you get him, but uh, based on ADP, probably would have been there in the fifth or even the sixth round. So um, there are different ways to make rankings, but I think it is foolish to completely ignore average draft position just to give yourself an idea of where players are going so you know okay if I like this guy and he's going at pick 80 but I want to make sure I get him again maybe you pull him up the board by one round uh, but 
you have to maximize the value of all your picks. So I thought that was very well said. And my rankings, similar, Scott, I, I take into account uh, recent ADP trends. So at NFBC, you can sort it by a time frame. So I'll look at things like that. Uh, but ultimately, my rankings, my top 300 for both head-to-head points and Roto are, if I'm on the board, which player would I take between this player, and, and, like between all the players available? Who, how yeah. would I draft these guys? And that is how yeah. I do my rankings. And that's that's what I think. That's what I always thought rankings should be. Yeah. Um, but I, I know, like there are rankings contests that are run on Fantasy Pros, and, and they basically assess at the end of the year whose rankings were most accurate, which I get too. But the rankings are, fill a specific function at draft prep season, and so if you're if you're if you're doing it for some accuracy contest at the end of the season, I think um, I think you're doing the people looking at the rankings a disservice. Well, Scott, I'm happy you, you brought that up. I'll give myself a little pat on the back here, but uh, I have finished top 10 in the accuracy competition on Fantasy Pros each of the past two seasons. I haven't gotten the results or I haven't seen them yet. Maybe they came out and, and I just wasn't part of the top 10. Uh, but for... 2018 and 2019, I, I have finished top 10 in the in the competition. So uh, hopefully can keep that going. Um, <laughs> but yeah, let's jump right in. First round, we'll, we'll go round by round here. Um, maybe not spend as much time on, on each player so we can get to a, as many as we possibly can. But the first round, Scott, I mean, does anything stand out? Obviously, it starts with Ronald Acuna here, Mookie Betts, Fernando Tatis. You have your top three at the top. Uh, Mike Trout right behind those names. We have the big three of Garrett Cole, Jacob deGrom, and Shane Bieber ranked inside the top 12 picks. Uh, the one that stands out for me as potentially undervalued, it's really hard to say over undervalued in the first round, but Christian Yelich was arguably the number one player being drafted in fantasy last year, and now you're getting him at an ADP of 11.5. So if you are still a believer in Christian Yelich and the talent, he is potentially undervalued at the spot. Yeah, that's fair. I think I have him ninth. No, I think I have him 10th, actually, um, because Trevor Story checks in behind him here in ADP. I have Story ahead of Yelich, but I have Jose Ramirez behind him. I have Garrett Cole behind him. That's the one that really stands out for me. Uh, You've been saying yourself that you would prefer Garrett Cole number one at starting pitcher. I thought you were kind of on an island with that, but apparently not because Garrett Cole is going first to the big three in ADP. I have him a few spots behind both Bieber, who I have number one, and DeGrom too. So Cole's the one who stands out for me as being, I guess, overrated. But obviously, if he's your guy, the first round is where you need to take him. Yeah, so I have Garrett Cole as my SP1 in points leagues just because he has consistently gone a little bit deeper into starts over the past couple of years than Jacob deGrom has. But in Roto, any type of... Neither as deep as Bieber. (laughs) That is is why I have him number one. Yeah, which helps for points leagues and obviously um, helps their chances at at getting wins as well. Uh, In any type of Roto or head-to-head categories context, I will take Jacob deGrom, I think, on... In inning by inning basis, he will be the best starting pitcher in fantasy. So I'll take him in Roto. I'll take Garrett Cole in head-to-head points leagues. The second round, these are picks 13 through 24. That starts with Freddie Freeman, and it ends with Max Scherzer. Some potential overvalued players in this range, Scott. Uh, We spoke about him on the tiers episode, but Manny Machado, um, you have in the same tier as guys like Alex Bregman and um, obviously Anthony Rendon. Um, mm-hmm. We'll talk about those a little bit uh, further down in the third round, but based on that, you know, he would be overvalued in the second round range. Uh, and and Bo which I think is an interesting case, Scott, because I, I'll keep making this comparison. I don't know if the upside is as high, but I have 
this like Fernando Tatis vibe with Bo Bichette where, yes, you have to pay a big price in the second round, but I think that there's a chance that we could be drafting Bo Bichette as a first rounder next year, but it's also a deep position at shortstop and you have to pay a pretty penny here in the second round to get him. Yeah, I'm really surprised he's going this high. I, I think it might be justified. I, I would like to have more shares of Bo Bichette than it appears I'm going to have based on this ADP. But the thing you have to keep in mind about Bo Bichette is he's played 75 career games. He hasn't even played half a season in the majors yet. And some, you know, a big disparity in, in the stats he put up pre-injury and post-injury last year. He played only 29 games last year. I think it was a hamstring injury he had or a quad injury, something in the leg. Was unbelievable before it. Was not so great after it. So, like, you could you can kind of parse those 75 games and, and not be really that sure what you're getting from Bo Bichette. But, I mean, the upside looks like a five-category contributor. The upside looks like somebody who we might another shortstop who we might be drafting in the first round as early as next year, like you said. Uh, it's just, you're passing up some really good, proven talent by taking him this high. At his own position, by the way, like Xander Bogarts is going ten picks, uh, nine picks later on average. Not going to provide the steals we hope Bichette will provide, I guess. So that's probably why, but certainly a lot more, you can feel a lot more confident what you're getting from Xander Bogarts and that it's going to be High end. Yeah, Bichette, you mentioned the 75 games that he's played, a 307 batting average, 16 home runs, eight steals. Um, this doesn't work for every player, obviously, but if you just double that, a 150-game pace, that is 32 home runs, 16 steals, obviously over 300 batting average, 100 runs scored. I mean, that is a legit five-category contributor. So we were saying similar things about Tatis last year where we recognized he's recognize the upside, but again, I think you do have to bake in some downside, uh, taking Bichette as early as the second round. Um, potentially undervalued here, Scott, in the second round range. I'm scared about Max Scherzer. I have him on my, on my uh, I had him on my bus list 1.0, but there is certainly a, a an outcome where he just kind of goes back to being Max Scherzer and returns first round value. Uh, I, I'm a little bit more skeptical of that, but if you're a believer, then he's undervalued in this range. Yeah, I mean, this is about the range where I would draft him. So, I, you know, he's not going to be showing up in my overrated and underrated column. Let's put it that way. But yeah, sure. There's a chance he, there's still a chance he could be the best pitcher in baseball. I mean, you look at his game log from last year, double digit strikeout efforts were, he was still dominant in that category. And I suspect that if he got four months, his ERA and whip would have normalized. Um, to to what we're used to seeing from Max Scherzer. But he is getting older. He's dealt with some injury issues the past couple years, and uh, better safe than sorry. Yeah, the strikeout numbers, the swinging strike rate, uh, while a little bit lower for him, still really, really good compared to the rest of the league. So uh, I think the strikeouts will still be there. But just some things that worry me, the underlying numbers regarding hard contact, batting average against being up the past couple years, and of course the age and injury risk with Scherzer uh, has me fading him in that late second, early third round range. Speaking of the third round, picks 25 through 36. This starts with Nolan Arenado and ends with Anthony Rendon. So uh, oddly enough, some third baseman there. Um, But I will say Arenado, since the trade, there have been eight drafts over at the NFBC um, in February. And his ADP during that time is 45. 
This is Nolan Arenado. So he has dropped to the fourth round of 12-team leagues. The, the 45 ADP is the same as Rafael Devers. So that was the first conversation we had, Scott, and I think it's spot on that people are basically choosing between Devers and Arenado. You prefer Devers. Mm-hmm. I still prefer uh, Arenado now with the St. Louis Cardinals. Some potential overvalued players here in the third round, Scott, uh, Adalberto Mondesi only in points leagues. It's just worth mentioning, you know, if people are using ADP as a guide, points leagues are uh, completely different than Roto leagues, especially when it comes to someone like Adalberto Mondesi. And we spoke about uh, Jose Abreu a little bit earlier at 33, where if he goes there, he is overvalued at the spot. Yeah, I I would say if you're using Fantasy Pros ADP to help with your head-to-head points, to help you gauge head-to-head points value, I mean, Fantasy Pros ADP is strictly doing five by five categories that's that's where mm-hmm. they're getting and, and specifically roto um I, I don't think i don't think it's useless if you want to do that but i think it, you're better served just where they rank within a position as opposed to where they rank overall and you have to account for certain exceptions that you know their their categories lead values just higher like an adalberto mondesi uh like a starling Marte. um Maybe you move somebody like Carlos Santana up to uh, to meet the 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 need in points leagues. But yeah, if you're if you're just looking at what order they rank in by each position, and not the overall ranking like we're looking at here, I, I think it can still be useful for you in points leagues. Yeah, and of course you can use our head-to-head points leagues rankings. You can look back at, at a mock draft which we did. I think it was like two weeks ago now. So that is probably the best uh, use of data for uh, head-to-head points leagues. Again, this ADP more so for Roto, 5x5, head-to-head categories, uh, things like that. Undervalued in the third round, Scott. Alex Bregman and Rendon, I think we're just going to continue to harp on this. We've talked about these two names already a lot, but uh, you know your argument for drafting these guys is why would you take Manny Machado in the second round when you can get uh, Bregman or Rendon around later? And, and I will go as far as to say, I, I think these two guys might be Two of the best values in drafts early on. Yeah, I agree. I go into every draft expecting to get either Bregman or Rendon in round three. Um, Sometimes I've gotten, Rendon, I've gotten Rendon in round four before. Yep. Which, you know, I must have really liked what else I was getting in round <laughs> three to pass over him there myself. Uh, but it's it's possible. It's it's something I hope to do in every draft is get one of those guys at a discount. Yep, and I've used that as a reason to maybe you don't want to start your draft with two starting pitchers, but uh, certainly at least taking one starting pitcher within the first two rounds, just knowing that you can uh, it's a bankable asset having one of those third basemen available in the third round for you according to ADP. In the fourth round, Scott picks thirty-seven through forty-eight. This starts with Eloy Jimenez at the top of the round, and it ends with Tyler Glass now at the back end. Two names that stood out for me in terms of uh, potentially being overvalued. And this is like, this is based on perception. So this is the uh, the eye of the beholder here. It, it depends how you like to draft. If you want to attack catchers early, then JT Realmuto, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. He is the best catcher. There's no doubt about it. Um, I'm not doubting the talent. I just think it's, it's a little tough to invest a fourth round pick for a catcher uh, given the position and they take a beating foul balls and all these types of things are going on and he's getting a little bit older as well. So uh, Real Muto at 41 stood out to me as overvalued and potentially Tyler Glass now. It's another one. We're not doubting the talent. I just really don't 
know what the usage is going to be. And there's still an injury concern in the back of my mind when you have to take him as early as the fourth round. Yeah, so there's a drop-off at starting pitcher here between Woodruff and Snell Glass now, where it's a guy who I trust the workload or at least how deep he's going to go in individual starts versus guys I don't trust that for in Snell and Glass now. So they... Uh, and I see some of the pitchers going after Snell and Glass now that I'd rather have. So I, I think I would say both of them are overvalued in this range just because you're, you you want ace production from a pitcher you're drafting this early. And I think I, I think they'll be handled too carefully to, to really get that from them. Um, I agree with you on Real Muto. I, he might be the play, the single biggest advantage you could have at any position. And so it's likely somebody's going to take him here because they, they want that advantage. I don't care enough about that to take it this high. I think it'd have to be more like round six before I started thinking about real Muto as opposed to round four here. Uh, I get it. I just, when 11 other teams are in the same boat at catcher versus the one, like I don't feel like I'm that disadvantaged by not having that guy. And there are just things I need here more. I, I actually want to say though, I think Corey Seager at 40th overall, I think Corey Seager is someone I'd prioritize over those two third basemen we talked about last round, Bregman and uh, um, Rendon. Rendon, yeah, yeah, Rendon. I I think Corey Seager is just. I, I think he's amazing. I think he, I think you could make a case for him to be a first rounder already. Um, what he did last year was so convincing to me, especially when you factor in that he he sustained. Similar production throughout the postseason, a deep postseason run. So, you know, you're adding that many games onto that performance where he hit like Mike Trout, basically. Um, doesn't steal any bases. So, you know, I, I understand him getting pushed out of the first round for that reason. But fourth round, that's I think that's amazing value for a guy who uh, is, is going to be in contention for the NL MVP award, I'm sure. Yeah, the comp that we threw around a lot last year and I think well obviously stick with it with Corey Seager is a Freddie Freeman light where mm-hmm. you know close to a 300 batting average really solid power numbers not that he's going to hit like 40 home runs but you know 30 plus good counting stats in the middle of a really good lineup Scott's shaking his head like maybe it's possible maybe Corey Seager uh, I, can I, I think 40 <laughs> home runs is possible for Corey Seager I'm not saying that's what it you should project him for, but I think it's within the realm of possibility. A few other hitters, I think, undervalued in this range. Marcelo Zuna, one that we already spoke about, just finishes the number one outfielder in both head-to-head points and in Roto Leagues. And another shortstop, and someone we brought up on Friday with Vlad Sedler as my potential candidate to be uh, this year's Christian Yelich, and that's Tim Anderson. I think we can get over 300 batting average, potentially... 25-25, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility leading off for a really good White Sox lineup. So some people are still a little hesitant on Tim Anderson. Fourth round, I'm willing to invest and buy in, especially in Roto and categories leagues, points leagues. Maybe you drop him a little bit just because he doesn't walk all that much. In the fifth round, picks 49 through 60, starting with Starling, Marte, and then ending with Liam Hendricks, uh, overvalued, I got some New Yorkers here, Scott. Aaron Judge at 52 and Pete Alonzo at 53. Nothing to do with the players themselves. I think that they're fine, but you made the case earlier for Matt Olson being undervalued because he's not dissimilar from Pete Alonzo. And I will make the case 
for Giancarlo Stanton versus Judge. I really don't think that they're all that different of players. Um, and Stanton, you're getting 50 to 60 picks later, although he's only Util only. So uh, I, I just think these two New York players are overvalued for those reasons. Yeah, I think Stanton's injury history is a little worse, but, uh, you know, kind of kind of splitting hairs there, I guess. I, I think that's more a, an instance of all the DH-only guys being, they are the most underrated players, all of them. Uh, you're now Varez, J.D. Martinez, Stanton. You know, we've talked about a lot. Nelson Cruz, of course, perenni- 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 annually underrated. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, Stanton fits the bill. I, I, I'm fine with Judge here. I've taken him in the fifth round before. Uh, you know, I'd take Voight over him, and Voight's two picks behind him here, so whatever. But I, I, I don't see Judge as being really overvalued here. I see Vladimir Guerrero, 56th, as just very glass half full still. And we talked, I didn't really get the chance to bring up this point when we were talking to Vlad Sedler last week. Vlad Sedler, that's right, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do think it's unfair to say that drafting Vladimir Guerrero, 56th overall, is drafting him at the extent of his upside because the extent of his upside is top 12. But you are drafting him for much more than he's delivered so far. And given the quality of players going in the same range, I don't think there's... I, I don't think uh, it's justified. I think you're passing up too much by taking him here for less than a coin flip's chance that he delivers on it. Scott, what do you think about Starling Marte in this range? The ADP last year for Marte was 29, and that's while he was with the... Arizona Diamondbacks, and now we're getting the ADP for uh, Starling Marte here at forty at forty nine. So he's going twenty picks later. Uh, he is one year older. He's thirty two years old. But especially in a roto context, to be able to get someone like this in the fifth round, potential twenty twenty bet, I I feel like that's pretty valuable. Yeah, I've never been a big Starling Marte guy, but I agree. Usually we're seeing him going like round three, maybe even round two in a roto league. So it, it, it's, uh, it's kind of dependent on how many steals I have at this point, whether I value him versus somebody like George Springer or Aaron judge, but it does seem, it does seem like that could be a good pick for you. All right. If you are listening on the podcast side, we're going to take a quick break. If you're watching on video, don't go anywhere because we're going to continue. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. 
And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on fantasy baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Right now, in the sixth round, picks 61 through 72, starting with Max Fried and ending with Teoscar Hernandez. Uh, a, a few names here, Scott, that it immediately stand out as overvalued, potentially overvalued. The small sample squad. So it, it was guys that performed really well last year, but how much are we buying in? Names like Trent Grisham, Max Freed, Randy Rosarena, Zach Plesak, and Teoscar Hernandez. Scott, of those five, which ones would you actually label overvalued? Hernandez's busts pick 1A for me. So I, I think he'd have to, be, have to be the first one I name here too as being overvalued. I just, I don't buy it at all. The strikeout rate was way too high. I think we just got his... Uh, he just he 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 always hit the ball hard. We just see, saw him see it extra hard over a small, saw him hit it extra hard over a small sample, and I don't think that's something we could trust him to sustain over a full 162 game season. Max Freed, I'm not going to go as far as to call him a bust, but I do think he's overvalued here. He's somebody who, throughout last season, we saw him pitch closer to five innings every start than six innings every start, and you know you just compare his ERA to his. XFIP, his Sierra, um, some regressions coming there too. The strikeouts were way down compared to 2019. And um, I think he's a good enough ground ball pitcher and and just a, just a fine pitcher overall. I'm not saying he's not going to be an asset for you in fantasy, but there are other pitchers I'd rather have who are going after him. Um, I do like Grisham. I do like Plesak. It's a case by case basis thing. I'm not saying I'm not saying all these guys are overvalued. I don't I don't think those two are so much because I I buy into what they did a little more. But anytime you're relying on a small sample, of course you're you're taking some some risk there because uh, weird things can happen over small samples that are hard to detect even if you know what to look for. Mm-hmm. Some potential undervalued players, Scott, that stood out to me in the sixth round. Glaber Torres, just you know what he's accomplished at his young age. Just a really, really weird 2020 season. And I saw a few people point this out, that apparently when he showed up to spring training, he was in fantastic shape. And then throughout the pandemic, uh, like most of us, he, he put on a few extra pounds um, and didn't really show up in the best shape when they restarted things in the summer. So that definitely could have affected Glaber Torres. But again, uh, expected to hit in the middle of a great lineup in a great ballpark. We could yeah. see close to 30 home runs and good counting stats again in the sixth round. And, and Sonny Gray, Scott, someone, admittedly, he's a little bit tougher for me to figure out who is the real Sonny Gray. Uh, but yep. his first seven starts last year, I mean, we were talking about this guy like he was going to be a second or third round pick 
entering 2021. I mean, he had a 194 ERA, a 101 whip in his first seven starts. Uh, and then he dealt with this back injury. He had, you know, two games where he got absolutely destroyed uh, after he returned from the injury. Wasn't great either. So where are you at on Sonny Gray? Totally confused, which is the story <laughs> of his entire career. Even going back to his Oakland A's days, he'd have a season where he'd be in contention for Cy Young and then uh, come back with a 569 ERA the next year. That's that's the story of his career. And and like before the back injury, before he had those starts where he got throttled, the 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 whiffs declined before that. I I'd started to worry about Sonny Gray even before that happened. So um you know, he said the Reds gave him the cheat code in twenty nineteen when he dominated down the stretch to get the most out of his his slider, the swing and miss potential it has. And uh, it looked like he was right for about three starts last year. And then it was back to the old sunny gray. Um, I think this is a year to fade him probably. Anytime he's coming off a good year, fade him. I don't think 65 overall is crazy high for him. But again, there are some pitchers go like, well, like with free, there are some pitchers going after gray that I'd rather have. One of those pitchers is going in the seventh round. And the picks here, 73 through 84, starting with Javier Baez and ending with Jose Barrios. Scott, Carlos Carrasco is someone we have ranked inside of our top 20, uh, ahead of a lot of names we've already mentioned. I have ranked ahead of Tyler Glass now, and we're looking at potentially three different rounds, three rounds of ADP uh, difference. So Carrasco is someone that immediately stands out, now with the New York Mets, of course, uh, as being undervalued in this range. I have no idea what people, <laughs> why, why people are downgrading Carlos Carrasco like this. Obviously, it made sense going into last year. He was coming off leukemia. We weren't really sure how he was going to look after that battle. Um, but he was great. He was great, and he got better as the year went on, and he was still capable of pitching deep into games, finished with a 291 ERA, had 10.9K per night. He was, he was as good as Carlos Carrasco has ever been. And now... He's going to the NL, the NL that appears not to be using the DH in 2021. So that creates, you know, the potential for even a a lower ERA than we've always seen from Carrasco. But really the biggest thing, the biggest reason I rank Carrasco so much higher than others seem to, given the ADP, is he's somebody who's established as an innings eater already, somebody who's established year after year, he can go six, seven innings with consistency. And after the year we just had where nobody got to even a hundred innings and we're, we're worried about the workload every pitcher is going to take on, it seems like somebody like that, somebody with who, who's, who's proven to take on a workload like that should be elevated. So it, it seems like a really easy call. Um, I, I don't know why, I don't know why it's not reflected in the ADP that Carrasco needs to be borderline top 15 this year. Yeah, I think it's probably just the age and potential injury concerns and obviously uh, has dealt with uh, cancer and leukemia and and he beat it. But you you mentioned he looked like himself last year. He looked like the Carrasco of old. So I'm with you there. I I think he's a tremendous value going in the seventh round. Other potential undervalued players, Util only. We talk a lot about these guys, Nelson Cruz, Yordan Alvarez, uh, and Javier Baez, who 
is entering a contract year. He had a down season in 2020, but obviously has a, a proven track record. Uh, so we would expect him to bounce back, at least to a certain extent here in 2021. Uh, Scott, some potential overvalued names. Denelson Lamette, injury-related. Um, you know, he was awesome last year, but I think you have to worry about his elbow. How about Charlie Blackman is an interesting one, Scott, because we didn't really talk about him with the Nolan Arenado trade, but you would have to imagine the counting stats will come down a little bit for him. And as great as he was the first month last year, he kind of came back down to earth for the second month uh, and he's getting up there in age. So what do you think about Blackman in the seventh round? I, I think it's fine. I mean, this is a guy I was still saying probably should be drafted in the second round last year. Turns out I was wrong about that. Um, everyone else was right to downgrade him more than I was. But it, it's really the like the power was just gone last year. He had six home runs in his 247 plate appearances, a 145 ISO. ISO that was his lowest since uh, since 2015, before he became a fantasy stud, basically. And considering he's 34 years old, you know, maybe that's an indication he's really on the decline here. Um, but I, I think just for batting average for run scoring potential, it's fine taking him where he's going. His ADP is fine, and maybe you get lucky and he bounces back with another 25-plus homers and performs more like a third, fourth rounder. So I, I think it's appropriate. I think there's a, more of a chance it's undervalued here than, than overvalued. I'll quickly mention in the eighth round, um, Ian Anderson, as much as I like the talent, he is going ahead of some starting pitchers that I think are a little bit more established. So someone that I worry a little bit that he's being overvalued. I don't know, I don't know what the uh, what the workload is necessarily going to be as well. Uh, hitters. I mentioned hitters that I really like in these middle rounds a lot. Nick Castellanos, J.D. Martinez, another util only bat, uh, and Austin Meadows. Spoke a bunch about him already uh, on previous podcasts, so big fan of those three hitters as well. Scott, um, anyone else that you have ready for the articles that you plan to write uh, as being undervalued, overvalued, anyone that we might have missed uh, or outside the top 100 that you'd like to highlight? So I think Jose Altuve is undervalued 98th overall. Like He's just getting buried. Everybody's just done with Jose Altuve when you know really it's that tiny sample of a season that's fueling that and by the way he followed that awful regular season with an amazing postseason performance so uh he's only 30 years old i think 98th overall for a guy who root for like cl close to a decade right ranked as the number one second baseman we've wanted in fantasy every year i think that's that's really selling him short. Um, Gio Urshela, uh, he's going, let's see, 154th overall. And you compare that to somebody like Chris Bryant, who I don't have a lot of hope for anymore, going 114th overall. Urshela totally backed up his breakthrough 2019 in 2020. So I have no doubts about him anymore. He was one of the highest point-per-game averagers at third base in 2020. Granted, it was a position where there were a lot of underachievers, but Urshela, there, there's really no reason to to wonder about him anymore. Uh, I think going a little deeper, Andres Jimenez is being overvalued. Uh, 193rd overall. It's not so bad 
but I, I think people are imagining he's this 30 steals guy. Um, and I think I think 20 to 25 is probably a more appropriate expectation. I'm given given the personnel Cleveland has right now, and it's not even clear Jimenez is going to be an everyday player, and he's going to b- provide almost nothing in terms of power. So I think that's I think that's overrating him a little bit. Alec Bohm was another one I wanted to mention, who I like the skill set of, but 108th overall. I mean. Going 50 picks ahead of Gio Urshela, that combination of overrated, underrated. Like, Bohm hit six home runs and like 150 at-bats last year. So, I, I, it's not even clear he's going to be a 20-homer guy at a position where uh, you really need him to be. And, you know, I, I did the Urshela comparison. I think Brian Hayes' upside is a lot higher. I think Brian Hayes is probably going to contribute some steals in a way Bohm won't. And power expectations batting average expectations, I'd put them at least on equal footing. And Cabrian Hayes is going a 150th compared to Bohm's 108. So I don't know why Bohm is getting elevated so much. I think he's good. I think those other players are good too. And I think they deserve to be about on equal footing in ADP as opposed to this four or five round difference. Keep an eye out for Scott's articles regarding this. He's going to have overvalued and undervalued players based on ADP coming out this week. So you can find that cbsports.com slash fantasy. I did want to wrap up with some questions here, Scott. Admittedly, it's going to be harder the next couple of weeks to get to people's questions because during our position previews, uh, those are jam-packed. We're going to try to get to as many players, deep dive some guys, uh, give you sleepers, breakouts, and busts at every single position. So it it will be harder to answer questions on those podcasts. So we'll uh, get to some of your questions starting right now. This one's from Steve in Northeast Connecticut. This was an Apple podcast review. He says that, I play in a 13 by 13 head-to-head one-win categories league. So all he has to do is win, you know, the majority Seven of the 13. Oh no, there's 26 categories, right? So he has to yeah, win 14, 14 out of 26 and he will earn a win in his head to head categories league. Um, obviously a bunch of extra categories here, but things that are centered around total bases plus walks and strikeouts for hitters. And then for pitchers, they add complete games and no hitters, which please don't do this. I mean, it is, <laughs> it is so archaic in baseball right now. Like how many of these are you going to get no, throughout the course of the category? <laughs> how many of these are you going to get throughout the course of the season? It's like playing with triple doubles in a, in a fantasy basketball league. It's just, it's very weird. Um, the, the question basically is in a league like this with so many categories, Scott, what would your strategy be? Would it change or are you just trying to, to, to go for, de- um, for like an all around balance? Well, I imagine with this many categories, there's a lot of redundancies. Um, clearly, there are some categories that are, will almost never come into play. <laughs> so it's it's kind of impossible to strategize for them. I would say, I, 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 I wouldn't overthink it. I, I, would probably, I would probably lean more toward points league rankings versus categories leagues, which are really just for five by five categories leagues. Uh, since there will be some contributions that are factored into points leagues that aren't factored into those five by five categories leagues, but I wouldn't, um, I want to turn the rankings upside down, trying to, um, trying to 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 make it specifically tailored for for this. This next one's from Artomp two four two. My top five pitchers are Garrett Cole, Blake Snell, Clayton Kershaw, Carlos Carrasco, and. Sandy Alcantara, 
My hitters are by far the best in the league, so I won't name them all here. Uh, what pitchers are you guys looking to target? It doesn't have to be sleepers or late round value picks. Just in general, which guys will you have the most shares of this season, Scott, among pitchers? Oh, that's a difficult question. Well, maybe Carrasco, given how <laughs> far ahead of him I am versus the consensus, though I don't think our mock drafts have gotten that much of him. Uh, Hyunjin Ryu, I feel like, is never gets enough credit. Uh, Zach Plesak. You know, Hyunjin Ryu, over the last three years, he has the second lowest ERA to Jacob deGrom among all qualifying pitchers. That's over the last three years. Um... Fromber Valdez, I like a lot first compared to the consensus, and I love getting him as like my number five guy. In the where does he typically go? Fromber Valdez and ninety six on average. Those would probably be the main guys. You know the the early round pitchers. Uh, you know it's it's really just going to depend on where I'm drafting. It's going to be kind of luck of the draw thing. So I don't think I don't think I can point to anyone there who I'm going to have more than everyone else will. Um. It seems like Sixto Sanchez and Sandy Alcantara both tend to fall a lot. I'm not really sure why. I guess because they're not they don't they 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 project for less than a strikeout per inning. But I think I think they excel in every other way a pitcher can, specifically how deep they pitch into games. So I, I tend to be kind of high on them compared to the the consensus. Nice. Yeah. Carrasco stands out to me. I have a bunch of shares already excited about him. Chris Paddock, someone that I do like that's going typically in round seven through nine. I get him as like my SP three or my SP four. Usually um, Joe Musgrove, you know, if you can get him as like your SP five in the double digit rounds, something we talk a lot about that I am still uh, pretty excited about as well. Uh, Mike Soroka, pay attention to the news. He's coming back from a torn Achilles, but Things have been positive thus far, um, so you can get him at a discount. Tyler Malley is one of my favorite sleepers that I target uh, quite consistently. And then if you play in a points leagues, just like Dallas Keuchel, uh, Marcus Stroman, Marco Gonzalez, just these guys are, are viewed as boring. They're going to go deep into starts. They're going to give you innings, should give you solid ratios as well. Maybe not many strikeouts, uh, but those are three that stand out to me as undervalued names to pay attention to as well. This one's from A.E. Norton. I was undefeated last year and I get to pick where I want to draft this season in head to head points. Any suggestions on what draft pick is the best? Well, if you play in a points league, I think the lowest you can choose to pick and trust that you'll get one of the big three starting pitchers is third. Cause they might go one, two, three in a points league. I don't rank them that way, but they might. Uh, if you don't really care whether you get a pitcher or a, a great hitter, then I would say, you know, those three pitchers and you're adding on Trout and Betts and Soto. So if, if I think those seven, those three, or sorry, those six, those three pitchers, uh, Cole DeGrom and Bieber, and those three hitters, Trout, Betts, and Soto are what you're really hoping to get with your first pick in a points league, one of those six. So I would say sixth, unless you have to have a pitcher, then third. Mm -hmm. And you know your league better than we do, A.E. Norton. So uh, if people don't take pitching as early, uh, I would just take the the 
for this pick, that would ensure I would get one of the big three starting pitchers. So you know your league better than we do, but I, I would ideally, in a points league, want one of uh, Bieber, DeGrom, or Garrett Cole, who I do have ranked one, two, and three overall in that format. This one's from Trenton Andrew Seven. Kwang Hyun Kim, starting pitcher for the Cardinals, had a fantastic year last year. This year, I'm still snagging him super late in drafts, normally as my sixth, seventh, or even eighth starter. Am I missing something? Was last year a mirage? And is he really not very good? Or am I still getting good value taking him in the later rounds? For Kim, the ADP is 228. He is the 70th starting pitcher off the board. A 162 ERA, Scott, but... That comes with a four five two X fit. What are some expectations mm-hmm. for Quang Hyun Kim? Yeah, I don't trust Quang Hyun Kim. I never trusted him last year when he kept churning out good start after good start. I expected it, it. I expected it to all come crashing down at some point. It never did, but that doesn't mean it never will. Especially considering how short last season was. Even in terms of XERA, which takes into account hard contact in a way, X fit and Sierra won it, and I don't think it's as predictive as XFIP, but, you know, if you want to say it was, XERA was still 381 versus 162 for a non-strikeout pitcher. I mean, that sounds like more of a late-round guy. I don't have him in the draftable range at all uh, because the strikeout potential is so poor, and it's not like he's this extreme ground ball pitcher to make up for it. So, yeah, I am, I'm not backing Kwang Hyun Kim as, as somebody I want in fantasy. All right, we're going to wrap there. He is Scott. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow, back again on Tuesday with uh, starting our position previews. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com.